0: Good morning to each one. I greet you in our precious Savior's name this morning. It's good to come into the house of the Lord and worship Him as the rain falls outside. I trust you've come with your cup empty and up, looking to the Lord to be filled this morning. I've titled the message this morning, Identifying with Christ. On Friday of this week, I was at a, at a gas station, and I used a restroom, and as I was coming out of the restroom, the janitor there, he said, I have a question for you. He said, what is your life advice that you would give someone? And here's what I told him. I thought later I could have done a little better, maybe. But I told him to live each day for Jesus, to live each day for the Lord, and whatever you do to your ability. That's what I told him. And I'd be interesting, interested to hear what you would, how you would answer that after the service. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. I want to pick up Matthew 10. It's been a while since I preached from the book of Matthew. I want to pick up in chapter 10, starting at verse 16. First part of, or in this chapter, Jesus. Sends out the twelve. Here Jesus gives instruction to the disciples before he sends them out two by two into the country to minister. He gives them characteristics of this sending out and what they can expect. They knew that they were going out, but they didn't really know what to expect. So Jesus explains it to them. He uses the example of sending sheep out among wolves. These men were acquainted with that sort of thing, where you would have the shepherds watching over their flocks of sheep. They very much knew what a wolf or a pack of wolves could do to a sheep herd. And we as the body of Christ are likened to sheep, and we hear the shepherd's voice. You know, sheep of themselves are dumb animals. What I mean by that is they have no ability to they're not able to fight back. When a wolf attacks a herd of sheep, the only thing that the sheep can do is run. They are no match for the wolf. They don't have horns. They have nothing to fight back with. They're totally at the mercy of the attacking wolves. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would use that example? I'm sending you out into the world and this is what it's going to be like like sheep among wolves. You can pretty much expect to be victimized. You will face persecution. But it's not as though they were fighting a losing battle. Sheep are, de- are utterly dependent upon their shepherd to protect them. That is why we were given this word picture of who we are as sheep and the kind of vulnerability we would otherwise have in the face of attacking wolves. We too are totally dependent upon our shepherd. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who goes before us. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my, for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your Father which speaketh in you, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father of the child. And the child shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye ye to another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple... That he be as his master, and the servant as his lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather... Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I'll stop reading there. Jesus is the one who says, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. But as you study the New Testament, you find that you don't even have to go out to meet up with wolves. You can stay right here in the comfort of your church, or the flock, if you will. Paul, when he spoke to the elders of Ephesus, had this to say, Acts 20 29 and 30, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So Paul is telling them that not only are wolves going to rise up from within their own numbers, then he goes on to say what characterizes them as wolves. Verse thirty. It says they will distort the truth of God, that speaking perverse things, and their desire is to draw people after themselves. The point is, you don't have to go anywhere to find out that there are wolves who are wanting to attack. A few chapters back in Matthew seven, Jesus said, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves." He says, "Beware of that kind of attack." Within the body of Christ, from people who claim to be leaders, who claim to have a word from the Lord, and they are in fact wolves. This wolf thing is a problem, and we need to be aware of it. The wolf's desire is to take you out, to invite persecution in our lives. All we really have to do is live for Jesus. Second Timothy three twelve says. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we live our lives according to the model that Jesus showed us by walking in obedience to his word, you do that and you will invite persecution. You will invite a reaction from the world. I had to think of Peter and John's response to the Sanhedrin when they told the disciples... Do not speak in the name of this Jesus of Nazareth again. What was their response? They said, judge for yourselves, whether it's proper to obey you or obey God. Let's turn to Acts 4. And read those verses. Acts 4, 18 to 20. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We have a greater calling in our lives to share the word of God and the life that is in Jesus Christ. When the natural response would be to back down, we to say, we're not going to do that anymore. What do you do with that? We do it out of fear. You think about the consequences. What if I speak up at work? What if I lose my job? Jesus tells us in this passage here in Matthew that not a sparrow falls from a tree without God knowing about it. He says, You are worth more than many sparrows to God. He is able to take care of you. There is a promise that goes along with living our lives for Jesus, and that that is that you will get a reaction from the world. We live in a battlefield, we are involved in warfare. We are dealing with a world that rejects Christ, it doesn't want anything to do with the message of Jesus Christ. And that is the message that you and I are called to take to the world. Back to our sheep and wolf scenario. We know who the sheep are. We are the sheep. So who are the wolves? The wolves are people just like you and I. The only difference is they have rejected Christ. And you and I have accepted what Christ has done on the cross. Because of that choice, we are the sheep. And they are potentially the wolves. Paul in Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly in the heavenly places have you ever read that verse and thought yeah right we don't wrestle with flesh and blood sometimes it seems like flesh and blood i believe the point of that verse is to give us a greater understanding of what is behind the opposition that we experience in this world what is behind the opposition are the rulers, the principalities, and powers of this dark world. And that is ultimately where the battle is taking place. The point is that Satan uses people, and God also uses people. God uses us, the sheep, to proclaim his message of salvation. Satan also uses people to oppose the message that we have been called to share. And we need to be prepared for that. Turn with me to First John, Chapter Five. This is John writing in his first letter. He says, First John Five, verse nineteen. It says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Two things I want to point out. Number one is, we know that we are the children of God. We know that we are the sheep. The second thing is, we also know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The reality is this. There are two influences in this world for you and I. Either you will be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, or if you reject Him, you're going to be under the influence and control of Satan, the spirit of this world. So from this scripture we know that those who are outside of Christ are ultimately under the control of Satan. Throughout time it has been men that have slaughtered the people of God, who have thrown them into prison and burned them at the stake. So as the enemy attacks, he does it through human agents. Verse 20, first John 5 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And you shall be hated, verse 22, back in Matthew, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. I'm back in Matthew chapter 10, second part of verse 22. says, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. This verse not only tells us it's going to be men who are going to do the hating, even though they don't know that they are under the influence of the enemy. He also tells us why they are going to hate us. It says, all men will hate you. Why? It says, because of me, because of Jesus. It's possible that someone would hate you for something that you've done, for something offensive or something inappropriate. Or they may just dislike you. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is not persecution. Persecution in the context here is when you and I are living a life of obedience and loyalty to Jesus Christ. And there is a fallout because of that. Jesus wants us to know it's because of me, Jesus, that this is happening. It's me in you. It's me manifesting myself through you. That is why people are hating. And he tells us this for an important reason. When someone absolutely hates you and they let you know that they don't like you, they may not even know you. They hate you because you're a believer. It's easy to get our feelings hurt and to back away for a while. When someone rakes you over the coals. The Bible tells us don't be surprised when this happens to you. When you're living your life for Jesus and letting your light shine. Don't be surprised when people hate you. What we see in these verses is Jesus outlining for us. is how the world is going to respond to us when we are truly living for Christ. Jesus says, They hated me, they will hate you too. It's going to happen. That is how they're going to respond to you. How are we supposed to respond to them? I want to point out a few things that Jesus said, beginning here at the end of verse 22. He says, But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. We're not to be shocked or surprised or disappointed. We are to stand firm. We are to endure. We are to stay on course. The natural tendency of the flesh is to back away when someone comes with a vicious attitude because I'm living for Christ. Jesus says, carry on, stand firm, and stay on course. Verse 23, But when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another... For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Notice he doesn't say fight back when you're persecuted. Jesus doesn't say that. There is nothing here that indicates or says that we are to match balance for balance, anger for anger or hatred for hatred. When you are persecuted, when they are not willing to listen, he simply says move on. See where the Lord takes you from here. Verses 26, 28, and 31, Jesus tells us three times, don't be afraid. And that is important. It's so important that Jesus repeats it twice. He said it in verse 26, and then He repeated it in verse 28, and then again in verse 31. And if it's repeated, it's obviously repeated for a reason. We need to hear it. Don't be afraid. He also knows our natural tendency is to be afraid and allow that fear to cause us to back away from being the witness that we are called to be in this world. What does he say that this lack of fear is predicated on? Verse 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Don't be afraid. All they can do is kill you. So don't worry about that. Jesus said, I have already conquered that. I have conquered death. I have conquered the grave. I have handled this the issue of death. So don't worry about it. All they can do is kill you. Then you enter into the life that is truly life. The disciples' enemies could only take their physical lives. Jesus reminds them that it was more important to fear Him who had authority over the soul as well as over the body. Notice that God is the one who has the authority to cast men into hell and not Satan. Satan will ultimately be cast into everlasting fire. If you're going to be afraid, Fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? A farthing was a copper coin worth about one-sixteenth of a denarius. A fraction of a penny. A very small amount. It says, without your father means without his permission. This reminds us of the father's providential care for the saints. Jesus' disciples didn't need to be afraid because God really did care for them, even down to the most minute detail. If God cares for sparrows and numbers the very hairs of our head, then he will also pay careful attention to our needs. The persecuted easily feel that God forgets them, but He has not. He knows the numbers of our hairs on our head. This is a proverbial expression, showing God's watchful care over His creatures, even in regard to what is smallest and most trivial in their lives. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many spares. You cannot estimate the value of a soul for which Christ has given His blood and life. We need to have confidence in His goodness. For He who so dearly purchased you will miraculously preserve and save you. Now I want to back up to verse 24. It says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord, The disciples didn't need to expect to be treated any better than Jesus was treated. If they called Jesus himself Satan, Beelzebub, how much worse should the disciples of Jesus expect? It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? This is the goal of both the disciple and servant of Jesus. We simply want to be like our teacher, our master. Romans eight twenty nine For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 26 says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. The message of Jesus was gloriously public. It was not for a secret few. And it was not to be hidden in any way. There isn't one message for the inner circle, and another for those on the outside. Those on the outside may not understand the message, but they can hear it, and it is not to be hidden from them. So share it. All right, I'm going to continue reading. Verse 32, it says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. So There's a time coming. For these men whom he is spending time with, that they will be questioned by the authorities in the coming days, months, and years. In some cases, the answer to that question will hinge on life or death for them. And that question is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And let me tell you before you answer, if you acknowledge that you are, we will kill you. If you are willing to renounce your faith in Jesus and say you're not a Christian, we will spare your life. Have you ever thought about what you would do in that situation? If your life is being threatened, will you confess Christ as your Lord? And Jesus knew that these men would face this very scenario. So he tells them in this passage that if you acknowledge or confess me before men, or he who confesses me, I will confess before my Father in heaven. This word for confess in the Greek means to agree. The root of it means to agree. It means that you agree that Jesus is who he said he is or claimed to be. It's more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. What did James tell us related to that? You say you believe in God? That's wonderful. The demons do too. And they shudder at the sound of His name. James 2.9 in the NIV says, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it is possible for a human being to believe in God and still be an enemy to Him. Jesus didn't say that if you believe in me in front of it. He said if you confess me, if you agree, Jesus is who he said he was. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I like this verse because it doesn't leave us guessing who Jesus is. He just lays it out for us. Jesus brings us to a place where it's me or nothing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you're sharing this verse with someone and they say, I disagree with you, kindly let them know that they're not disagreeing with you. You're disagreeing, they're disagreeing with Jesus. He is the one that said it. This is not something we have made up. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also said this, verse 32, Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Saying, I will acknowledge you before my Father. The opposite is also true. Verse 33, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I had to think of Peter when I thought about this thing of denying Jesus. He did it three times. So, does that mean that Jesus could deny him before the Father? No. It doesn't mean that. Because Peter's denials were followed up with a very passionate repentance, where he came before his Lord and confessed his sin. And it says he wept bitterly, he was truly sorry. Peter repented. Now I want to look at the next three verses together. And here Jesus makes what some would call a rather troubling statement. Verses 34 to 36. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am coming to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Think not that I have come to bring peace, to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. There are other passages that talk about the peace that he comes to bring. He is called the Prince of Peace. A lot of Christmas cards talk about peace peace on earth John 14:27 says peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you there is a re- reality to the peace that he comes to bring but remember where that peace comes from it comes to those who agree it comes to those who identify it comes to those who confess it comes to those who open their hearts to the lord When people make a decision for Christ, Jesus told us it is going to affect families. Some have experienced the division that comes by simply making a decision to agree with Christ. When other family members disagree, whether they say they disagree or whether they don't say it verbally, you can see from their life that they disagree and that disagreement causes a rift. Jesus said it's going to happen, and the result of this is a man is going to turn against his father, a daughter is going to turn against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Then in verse 36 he says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own family, his own household. Why? When you come to a place of saying, I believe, it demands a lifestyle that follows. To be a follower follower of Jesus, you really need to believe everything he said about himself. And when people find themselves on opposing sides of of issues, there is always going to be a division. There is always going to be tension. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. John fourteen six again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus makes these statements to you and I about himself, He knows that there's going to be a cost to you and I when we either accept or reject what He says about Himself. There is no middle ground. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. If you do not love me most of all, above everything, above everyone, you are not worthy of me. Jesus doesn't say this in any way to minimize or degrade the love between family members. The Bible actually commands us to love one another, especially in families. The Bible says to husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We are to love our wives to the point of laying down our lives for them. So we can see that Jesus isn't minimizing the love that we have. We are to have for one another and family. Part of being family is that you love one another. What he is telling us is when you take a position about me and someone in your family takes a different position about me, it will cause a rift in your family. And you need to understand that if division, if that division creates a situation where you pull back from your devotion and love for me, Jesus says you are not worthy of me. If you don't love me more than anything and everything else, you are not worthy of me. God created you and I. And he is the one who gave his life on the cross to purchase you and I from death. And he did that with his own blood. He deserves not just part of you, but all of you. More than relationships, more than money, more than our love of pleasure. What did Jesus say when he was asked about the quality of our love for God? Turn with me to Matthew 22. Verses 35 to 37. Then one of them, a lawyer, asking him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Your heart is what you desire. Your soul is what you feel. And your mind is what you think about. Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is that we would give ourselves to Him, our whole being, in a way. That anything or anyone else is a distant second to our love for Him. He deserves the totality of our lives. He deserves our all. The question we need to ask ourselves, do we love Him most of all? Verse 38, Matthew 10. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. This is the first mention of the cross in the New Testament, I believe. It says, He that taketh not his cross, the victim of this Roman punishment, which was most painful, was often compelled to carry the cross on which he was to suffer to the place of execution. Bearing the cross is a phrase often used by Jesus. When a person took a cross in Jesus' day, it was for one reason, it was to die. The cross means one thing, and that is death. Death to self, but resurrection, but resurrection life into God. Let's go to Matthew 16. Here in Matthew 16 we have an additional phrase added, and it's an important one to our understanding of what taking up the cross is about. Matthew sixteen, verse twenty-four. Then Jesus Excuse me. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is calling you and I to carry our cross as well. However, Jesus is not calling us to die a physical death necessarily as much as he is calling us to die to self. Death to self and the things of this world that draw us to live for self. The Apostle Paul spoke about the effects of the cross on his life as if it was a part of what it meant to be a believer. Galatians 6.14 in the NIV says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I also had to think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2. Verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Matthew 10, verse 39 says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. Then here's where the cross comes in. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That's the cross. The cross is losing your life for the sake of Christ. It's not just losing your life. It's losing your life for Him. On the cross, remember, it's an instrument of death. You always die. You lose your life. But Jesus tells us here, that's the only way that we can find it. Whoever finds his life will in fact lose it. He's talking about the person who is living to please self. The one who is living to hang on to life. Then In verse 40, we have a positive side of identifying with Christ. It says, He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So if someone receives you, they receive me. And the one who sent me, who is my Father, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone will reject you. Some are actually going to receive you. And when they receive you, they receive me. And when they receive me, they receive my Father. And that is awesome. The wonderful representation that we have in Jesus. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word, God's message. Sharing life in Jesus and the message of of salvation in Him alone. You are speaking from the word of God prophetically. Because you are speaking a message given by God to people. A prophet is the one who hears the word of God and speaks to the people. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So, why would they look at you and see you as a righteous man or a righteous woman? Because they see the righteousness of Christ in us, they don't see a personal righteousness. That would be self-righteousness. We are righteous in Christ. It's been imputed to us by faith. Those who are not prophets themselves may share in the labor and the reward of the prophets by willingly supporting their ministry. And in verse 42, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Little ones here is not necessarily referring to little children. He is referring to his children. He is referring to Christians. When the world rejects us, because we identify with Christ, we get a reward. When the world rejects us, because of our identification with Christ, they get a reward. Either way, there are rewards given out. And when we are rejected, it is not us who they are rejecting. It is Christ who is being rejected. In the same way, when we are being received, it is not we ourselves who are being received. It is Christ who is being received. This passage is about how we are identified with Christ. Even to the point of doing what Jesus did, taking up a cross, dying to self so that others may live. So what could seem more insignificant than giving a person a cup of cold water? They will just get thirsty again. But even a small gesture will always be remembered and rewarded by God. So may the Lord bless each of you as you give a cup of cold water to others this week. Yeah, we have a song.